Welcome to Sportin' Live. Introducing your host, Ed Draper. Hello, how are you? Welcome along to the podcast. Hope you're well. Thank you for hitting on the button. As ever, good to have you with me. Appreciate the support, as I do, of the sponsors of the podcast, Bang Nolison of Cheltenham and Serene AV, who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high-quality customer service and installations. Have some wonderful Bang Nolison equipment at the store, the showroom in Montpellier here in the town of Cheltenham in the west of England, a very uh, beautiful place. But <clears throat> always stress that through Serene AV, they can source you whatever you're looking for in terms of home entertainment, televisual, audio equipment. Just head to Bangolofsson Cheltenham online, BNO underscore Cheltenham on social media. They'll get you a quote for your vision, your budget. Chat to Jason Briggs and his team. And thank you for Cytoplan, food-based supplement company that my father has worked for as a consultant for 20 years. We've taken their supplements. We pay for them, albeit at a discounted rate. Immune Complete 2 is a multivitamin, vitamin you may see that I take from them. But they all do all the uh, bespoke, focused supplements as well, like vitamin D3. Vitamin D3 had a lot of press and increasingly so around COVID-19 and the pandemic. I have a couple of podcasts talking about that with a chap called Dr. Chidi in the coming weeks. But if you are looking to maybe try the supplements, see if they enhance your immunity, you can go to cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk. And on checkout, the discount code is DRAPER10R, my last name, D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, the numerals one zero and the capital letter R. Well, I hope you're well. I hope you enjoy this podcast as well. Seb Hutchinson is a commentator these days for Sky Sports on football, done the Premier League, uh, Africa Cup of Nations recently, the final as Senegal beat Egypt on penalties. Uh, also worked for the BBC in particular. I've heard him on Radio 5 Live, which is really a point of pride for me and, and happiness because Seb was a colleague at BBC London when we were both starting out our careers in radio broadcast in London back in about 2005-2006 so to see him and other of our colleagues as well flourish it's always positive and wonderful guy he talks about mastery developing that voice wanting to be a commentator from the age of, of I guess 9-10 as a primary school student elementary school you may call it if you're in the United States but it's uh, it's a good man and I think it's a good lessons here in in terms of practice repetition and also in communication as well he talks about the the need whether whatever your accent is to be comprehensible to be understandable to people who speak english obviously it'd be difficult if they didn't speak english but you get what i mean so here he is the one and only seb seb hutchinson welcome to my humble podcast wonderful to to, to see you i know the listeners will only listen to you but it's it's really good to see you how are you doing today I'm good, Ed. How are you? Yeah, well, it's funny actually just talking because we know each other from, I guess you're a couple of years younger than me, but 24, I was probably 25, something like that. And uh, 15 years ago and, and crossing paths again and talking about having kids and hiding in the corner of our house. It's a <laughs> yeah. very, very, very different picture, but it almost seems like yesterday, doesn't it? Working at BBC London Sport 
back exactly. in what, 06, Let, let's 06, just get it let's just get it straight we're hiding in the corner of our house it's not <laughs> done anything wrong no <laughs> just no. to find room to do a podcast yeah yes <laughs> well you've got two kids still at, not at school age my daughter is actually at school which is um which is which is great so um but yeah it's fantastic to see you. How, how, how is tricks how how is that preparing for a football commentary when you've got a 14 month old and a four-year-old at home you know what i don't it's funny isn't it because when you whenever you have children everything the, the priorities change mm. so rather than thinking of the children getting in your way or you know you you think to yourself well the children are your number one priority yeah. and work is work is a bonus after that and and a, and a privilege actually so i never feel i'm not stressed by it i just just crack on and i've got a great family who support me so it's wonderful it's a strange feeling, isn't it, becoming a dad in the sense that in a way you feel a heightened pressure to provide, but also, like you said, you have a sense of perspective, which I know we were obviously sports obsessed and that was the, the be all and end all back then was not much else in, in our lives to a certain extent. Well, it's probably extrapolating, probably uh, assuming stuff for you that's probably for me, but <laughs> yeah. at the time life was was very simple, but it is it's it is quite an eye-opener, isn't it, becoming a, a dad and in a way it's liberating. You can play more at work, I suppose, in that sense. Jim- it's one of those things in life where until you are a parent, you never understand. Mm. And parents always say to people who don't have children, oh, you know, you don't understand. Or if you do, or if you're able to have children, then you've got to go through this and it's this and that and everything else. But it's just one of those things that people just have to experience for themselves if they're able to yeah, uh, and understand the difference. Because like you say, when you are in your 20s, you have a freedom that you just don't appreciate at the time. No. And it's that, but, but I think that then puts in the perspective of as a young person, you know, you've got a different issue. You've got different issues. You might be trying to earn more money to support yourself. It's that feeling of not quite knowing where you still fit in the world, what you're going to do. You don't have the power. You may feel that you obviously everybody wants to have a bit of power or a say in, in matters. So it's all in perspective, actually. And it, it weirdly balances it out. Because yes. obviously, as you get older, and if you're privileged enough, you your earnings say increase. But then that doesn't mean your problems decrease. You know, they just everything moves with it. You have to have yeah. that attitude in, in sports broadcasting, as we know, because it's wonderful to hear you commentating on on Sky Sports. But I mean, I'm sure you'll find this as well. I've seen you've done several talks with your former university, University of Staffordshire, just doing a, a little bit of prep for this and other places. And I've, you know, always getting requests now on various platforms for conversations with students. And they sort of want a silver bullet of, of an answer of how you navigate this. And it's very hard to, to sort of unravel because actually a lot of it's serendipity. It's just kind of knocking on doors and, and big decisions as well, because you made a decision, didn't you, to go freelance after a successful start to your career in sports production. When you look back at that, how much, how tough a decision was, was that to make when you left ITV? Because it's obviously yielded yeah. huge benefits, but it's, it's an interesting, wasn't it? Those sliding doors kind of moments. Well, it's funny, isn't it? Because everybody's ambitions is, is, evidently a personal thing and, and what you want to do or what you want to achieve in your life but actually as we know you know there's a for certain things when people are young say I want to do this or I want to do that so just say this I want to be a sports presenter mm. per se sorry to pick that out Ed but you know <laughs> when people have that when the people have that belief and there are what in the industry we're in now there are a lot more of those roles than there were in the past mm. and there's but there's also a lot more avenues for people to get into those roles but as I've said on lots of sort of, only some people have asked me about that, the experience of working different roles in telly let me understand that there are plenty of good roles in television, countless, that aren't people aren't aware of. Mm. They're just not aware of them. Right. You know, They're obviously aware of what's in front of the camera, what they can see, 
and they understand the concepts of say like a director or a camera operator but what they don't know is the multitude of other roles that are involved in which the things that often people are searching for say you know being around famous footballers or being close <laughs> to the action and that sort of stuff there's a lot of roles in in sport that actually get you even closer to that than yeah. the roles they think they're searching for yeah. um so i think this is part of the whole situation is you as you experience is always your greatest tool you know just putting yourself in situations that are uncomfortable but not relatively uncomfortable there's far worse things you could be doing that, that hurt you more than say leaving my staff job at ITV where I wasn't paid highly enough to say oh my god I'm throwing away my whole career I'm still young enough to, to take that jump whereas if it had been 10 years later it would have been a lot harder so that's the adjustment it's, it's about the right time and also that burning desire to to pursue a certain element in commentary if I just if I didn't have that certain desire for that certain role, I probably wouldn't be doing it now because I'd be just be doing another job in telly because it would absolutely satisfy that first for being involved in football. Yeah, it's interesting you had that that burning ambition because I I think as a kid I always envisioned being a sports writer and I think I did my first I did a masters in the states actually in journalism and my first job was on a newspaper and I've actually during the lockdown because we were on a slight go slow on Sky Sports News which. It was two years ago now, wasn't it? The first, mm. the first lockdown. But during that period, I did a bit of boxing writing and a bit of MMA writing because it was easy access to fighters and, and writing some features. And actually, really enjoyed revisiting that. And I've done pockets of, of commentary, and obviously, we worked on the radio, doing sort of radio production and um, sort of reading sports news on the radio. And it was a wonderful kind of grounding. Do you? Did you? Your ambition to sports commentary predate that, and it was always going to be that. Or did you oh, yeah. it through experience of, of doing the different things and thinking, no, I prefer this part of it. No, no, no. I I wanted to be a commentator. I've said this before, but I wanted to be a commentator since you know barely out of primary school. You know, wow. straight away. So that's that is an advantage in itself because mm. you know, as we know, anything, almost anything in life, if you, the younger you're interested in it, the better you'll serve because. As a child, you don't overthink things in the same way adults do in terms of learning. Yeah. My children are better at languages or, and all that sort of stuff. And I think that helped massively because from a young age, I was thinking about how I wanted to commentate and how I was going to get into that. Whereas for other people, it might be falling into it or the opportunity arises and they take it or they realise, oh, actually, I'm good at this. Or There's so many different routes into many things. So I think, but that was certainly an advantage for me thinking that early that I wanted to do this. So at primary school, you wanted to be a commentator, not a player, because I think at that age, we were all, the rest of us, desperate to try and make it to, to the Premier League. It, it's funny, though. Well, I had a different, slightly different thing, because when, so my dad was a football coach, mm. but my parents split. And before yeah. that, when I was, you know, maybe about, you know, six, seven, eight, my dad tried to get me into football and I just wasn't interested. I had no interest in it whatsoever. And it wasn't until they split that I suddenly had an interest, but I wasn't, I don't know, it sounds incredible to say it, but it's too late by the age of say 11 to think sure. you're going to yeah. make it as a footballer. I know some, some, there are exceptions Ian to Ryan this rule. Hardy, yeah, there's a couple of people. Yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, I, I can't speak for them, but I imagine they were playing football when they were six or seven, mm. just maybe not part of a academy setup or, yeah. and there are stories, you know, of players who, you know, only first kicking a ball when they were 13 and all this sort of stuff. <laughs> I mean, I never really truly believe that in terms no. of reaching the high, the levels where you're going to yeah. be earning hundreds of thousands, let alone millions of pounds. You know, I don't think you could read that's really likely. Um, the only exception might be with goalkeepers because you never sure. know. Sure. Somebody, 
but but even then I just think because we're talking about because I often hear you know you know I've got interest in other sports and everything else but mm. I truly believe that football because it's such a global sport such a popular sport those at the top are the best yeah. of in relation to all other athletes just because of the competition of what's sure. required yeah. to make it yeah, and there's also incredible depth, isn't there, in England, which is fascinating. Oh. You've got five professional leagues, pretty much. I think. Oh, it's, it's, that, pro, yeah. it's unravelled. It's what, it's what I love. You know, obviously, English football gets knocked for various other reasons, but I think that its absolute strength over every, almost every other country on the planet is the depth of support for its football clubs mm. and the fact you can have thousands of people turning out for fifth-tier matches regularly. It's just, it's just, it may, it's just incredible. Yeah. Um, and I, I wonder, you know, as time goes on and as decades pass, whether that might evaporate slightly, mm. uh, because we are obviously in a culture where people are drawn yeah. towards yeah. the big stars, the big players, you know, the clubs, the big clubs. I mean, some people are more fans of players than they are of clubs to just follow the player around. Mm. Um, but it's hard to measure because you can't, you can never use social media as a marker for anything going on in society in general. No. Yeah. If you do, you're in trouble. <laughs> you're in trouble. Yeah. If you get your, uh, if you get your politics from social media, definitely. Uh, oh, just, yeah, yeah. Just, I just that you take it. It should be, if we can try and use as a form of, you know, a bit of information, um, which you should always double check yeah. and uh, or verify your sources and, you know, a bit of comedy, but I would never use, it should never be used to define your opinion on stuff you know being out in the real world should define your opinion on something you can gain information but until you've experienced something i just i just don't believe mm. and i think it would, the world would be a better place if people did that for sure because yeah. they'd realize when you speak to people one-on-one they're not as bad as they're yeah. made out yeah. to be on it is. It is yeah. A, well yeah it's a really tricky business as, as well because one of the, the comments contacts we had is you actually messaged me and said dude you know you're uh, you're following this person on twitter or something and i was like well i don't know i tried oh, to take yeah. in different views not that i do take <laughs> views on twitter, but and then i read it read his yeah. stuff and i was like geez if someone sees that i'm following this person like seb's just said to me it looks like you know some sort of far-right extremist it's like it's yeah it's, I, I was unaware because when i look at twitter the only things i generally get not to give away too many allegiances but is manchester united tweets and things like that so it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, the algorithm spurs that up but not not these characters but i'm following i don't know like two two thousand four thousand five thousand people oh yeah 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 exactly but i think it's funny i think it's more do you know what it's more to do with and everything's a selfish thing but the algorithm what they do is they 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 bring up tweets of people you don't follow, but your other followers follow. So mm. it pops up and I'm like, and I know you can mute it, but I'm almost like, I don't want this on my timeline. Why is there a connection? Um, not because, and not because of the idea of you don't want to hear other people's opinions, but it's differ- differentiating between people who are doing something to say to further their career as such. Yes. They take a political line and it makes mm. them money. Yeah. You know, or it gives them fame. And then there's people who are following a cause or have a, an alternative view about something. And that's that's different. Mm. And then there's just straight up abuse, which I'm just like, I just say, I just don't have any time for that. Because I just think, again, it's, it's it's used to either just vent without any like, hope of a comeback mm. or it's just used to make somebody feel better or it's used, you know, that they, they don't really know what they're saying. So it's... um. Yeah, it's interesting to play social media. I think that's probably a whole nother podcast. So. Yeah, are they, are they are they real? Are they not? Are they not real? <laughs> they're not real. Yeah. That's the sort of thing. And and yeah, and, and and absolutely, like this sort of 
and I've started unfollowing people, even not for extreme political views, but just general negativity. There's people who seem to pop up on my timeline who just complain about everything every single day. I just uh, think this is not, and, and A, I should, you know, my etiquette around using it should be better. But if you look at it in the morning, you're like, wow, this is a And also, I think, you know, there's certain issues that can be brought up that you know your personal opinion on, and you, and you think people are out there reinforcing an opinion on one side and an opinion on the other side but i'm also like, what what's the point really because mm. you might open some people's eyes a little bit to something but really yeah. i just think you've put a marker out there which then could maybe help be held against you in the future people mm. might think oh okay that person stands for this or that person stands for this. so I, I you know i try you know i don't want to come across as a hypocrite but i try to keep my uh tweets just to football related yeah. i can yeah no i think that's just football and, and even within i try to not get down the lines of slacking uh clubs and players off too much uh because again that can come back and bite you well, I that's think an me, in, it's an interesting one though because we're sort of from an old school kind of journalistic background in the sense that we were never emboldened to think that our opinion was was worth too much as a journalist whereas there is an, a, a modern cult spawned and, and all you know all credit to them by youtube and and social mm. media people who've become you know almost armchair kind of analysts critics and some really intelligent people who do tactical breakdowns and, and things like that um mm. like a chap who, who writes for 442 zonal zonal marking on social media he used to be I can't remember his name just eluded me but uh, he does some really good breakdowns of formations and things but actually I, I find that i don't know how you find that in commentary because you've usually got an ex-player alongside you where there is there's certain commentators who now not try and disagree with them but they try and throw mm. a bit of opinion in there it's difficult how do you feel about that because i feel uncomfortable with it I, I try to, what I try to do with my commentary is just call the game, call the game. If I give opinion, I try to give as much as I can on the flow of the game rather than any general issues outside of the game. Or I'll pose an issue to the COCOM. So uh, an example would be, you know, Aubameyang, for example. I would try to avoid on commentary giving opinion on, oh, I think he's terrible, or he's done this mm -hmm. wrong or that wrong, or the club should have done this in that wrong. I might say to the COCOM, what do you think about the Aubameyang situation and leave it to them? Because I think they're the people who, who are there for the opinion and that's people listen to their opinion. My opinion, I feel stretched as far as what's going on on the pitch, you know, good tackle, bad Stripping. tackle. Yeah. Good talk. Yeah. And I think that in a weird way, like I think commentators for some people, commentators are a really, really important part of it. And, mm. and they add a nostalgia to a game and the, you know, memory to a game. They, but for a lot of people, they're like a referee in football in that they just want to watch the game. <laughs> and, they, yeah. and, the, and the commentators are so, they don't want to be drawn towards a commentator no. annoying them until there's a moment, say, where the game's fallen flat and dead and it's gone a bit sleepy. And then you might want to try and make it more exciting with a joke or two. But I try to just keep it straight. And also it goes back to when I was you know, growing up listening to Brian Moore, who I loved for the fact that he had a great voice and he mm -hmm. kept his commentary simple, but he wasn't too on point. And it's a difficult one because I'm trying, it's like, it's it's a compliment to say, but I always say he, he was surprised by things going on in the game. It came across yeah. quite genuinely surprising to him, you know, mm. or it came across as if like, you know, he was, he wasn't expecting a moment to happen. It's, it's It didn't sound, feel premeditated. It just felt like he was a fan watching the game. But a fan who was just a little bit more assured and secure than the supporter who's watching their team. Per se. Yeah, 
how important is it to be in the moment then? Because that's an interesting point. Oh. Some commentators worry about lines they've got pre-rehearsed, oh. whether it's, you know, Aguero's moment for Man City in 2012 that, that Martin Tyler was just pure emotion. But it's that, yeah. that, that thing of like sometimes thinking ahead because you have to prep but you don't want to preempt necessarily what you're going to say, do you? It has to be exactly. And I think, I generally think, you know, if you think about mine, that, that line, mm. the, the, sorry, that commentary for that goal, people tag on him shouting Aguero. They don't tag on to what he said after that. Mm. They tag on to the moment of the Aguero. Remember. You know, yeah. an extended O's. Yes. You know, because, you know, there's some great words after that, but actually what people remember is just the emotion of the Aguero. So in a weird way, if you convey the passion, it almost doesn't matter what you say. Mm, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, for, you know, to, well, you know, there's obviously an extreme, <laughs> get yeah. the, you know, try and get the, the scorer right. Yeah. If you can. But, but there's a kind of Walson home, wasn't it? The 1966 World Cup final people yeah. on the pitch, they think it's all yeah. over. It is now. And that's one of the, I suppose, the most iconic line in terms of the history of, of commentary, certainly for us growing up as well, going back nearly 60 years now. But he wasn't the only person commentating on the, the, the game. No. It's interesting, there's different, I mean, you'll probably know more about the history of that, but it's yeah. interesting what can happen if you are totally immersed in it in terms of your voice being attached to such a historic moment for but, decades. And I, I, you know, and I think he gets, it's interesting because it just goes down to what, you know, who plugs that moment more. So if you're, you know, for example, the Aguero moment would have been commentated on by, I think, uh, Peter Drury commentated on it, Guy Mowbray commentated on it. So that's Match of the Day and, and PLP, the host broker. So they had it. And to other audiences, they had that moment, say. And I don't think people are sat there comparing what the commentators said. I think that's more of a commentator's thing to think, oh, I wish I'd said that. Or should but that's a natural reaction that people want to you know, feel that they, you know, have captured a moment perfectly. But I don't think there's no such thing. I just think the one thing that must be done, has to be, and it's inarguable in my opinion, is you have to show that the goal matters. Yes. In whatever way you do it. So if I just said, you know, if you just said, Balotelli, Aguero, always won it for Man City. Oh, they won the title. <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whereas if, whereas if you... Or, or if I'd come up with some amazing prose, but I'd said it, I don't know, I can't Rehearsed. do it really off the top of my head, you know, he's lit the sky blue or whatever, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah. That for me is far worse than just, you know, it just saying, yes! <laughs> you had a rhyming, you had a rhyming couplet prepared. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. exactly. But I, I, but I saw, you know, you think about even, you know, in darts and people used to love Sid Waddell. Yeah. And yes, he had lines. But it was just the strength and the power and the emotion of capturing the moment, you know, getting sure. in there. I used, to, I used to love Ian Dark when he did the boxing, for example. Yeah. It's just that real, you want that edge uh, and you want that passion and to show that the commentator really cares about the, you know, it's not just another gig. It's like, this is huge for them. And I always think there's, there is a room where there's a space of excitement that I will reserve for an absolute extreme moment be it for example i don't know something extreme as say you know i'm not a, i'm not a luton fan but you know if luton somehow won the fa cup then won the champions league you would go crazy over that story you know <laughs> yeah um but you know england leicester, winning the world leicester, cup yeah yeah leicester yeah, leicester, Le yeah, yeah exactly leicester leicester's a good example but i think england winning in this country england winning the world cup or i should say in england england winning the world cup that's where you reserve that moment for because despite 
people, you know, I'm sure people will be being uh, biased or whatever. You know, I'm English, commentating on England, a football fan, understanding that the majority of the audience wants England to win. Mm. So therefore, if I don't display that importance, I'm lying to myself. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting thing, isn't it? Yeah. So you are slightly partial depending on the, the, the arena. But Absolutely. If it's between two clubs, if... you can't be, can you? That's the thing in between two. Because there's always conspiracy rumours yeah. about commentators' support. It's a bit like referees, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's, an, it's slightly annoying. Like, I'll never say on any sort of recorded thing because because it's just like it's just boring because then you just have to deal with all of that faff but i'll say it to private people privately i don't really care no but actually in a professional sense it doesn't really affect my commentary at all because what happens what you get gripped into a game and you're locked in the game and you might if there was to be any bias it's towards the game being exciting mm. so if a team is one team's three nil up right and another team pulls it back and wins four three and I go crazy over that winner. It's because of the the situation in the game. Yes. Or 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 if it's a team that's perceived to be the underdog. Yeah. yeah. And they are thrashing uh, another team. You have to show reflect that because mm. it doesn't happen that often. It's about rarity. Yeah. You know, if a t- if if Manchester City are on a ten match winning run and then they're three 0 up at Burnley, I can't. Be, oh my goodness! <laughs> they're so good. Yeah. You can't do. You know, you can't no. do that. No. But if. But if, for example, Norwich are 3-0 up against Manchester City, you know, after you know, 85 minutes, I wouldn't say after 10 minutes because they might still lose, but after, but you still, you've got to reflect that. Because, again, I think it, I think you have to feel, I like to go on the idea that the audience is very diverse watching. Mm. So there's always going to be people who hate what you're saying and there's going to be people who love what you say. So I try and lean towards the majority if I can. And I feel like the majority want a good football match. Yeah. an exciting football match so I'll lean on that and it's a good it's a good approach and I feel that generally through working in sports journalism your inherent tribalism dissipates a little bit anyway doesn't it like people oh. watching Sky Sports News they're always ensconced that Tom White and Pete Graves are good friends because Tom's a Sunderland fan and Pete's a, a Geordie Newcastle fan yeah. it's almost like and that, that's a difficult thing because these mm. people's passion and, and some of this healthy tribalism hopefully when it is healthy is fueling our careers. So it's difficult to sort of disdain that. I, 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 but you I, can't, I, I, it's not a time now when my team used to lose. I didn't want to go to school because I knew I'd be made fun of. It's like those days are gone now. You, no, you, no. Do, you do, you do sort of have to sort of emotionally un, unattach, I think, when you're, uh, when you're working. Yeah, and you, and you learn more about the business, don't you? You're more attached to it. You know, you, you, you come across the players more often or club officials. Yeah. You're at the grounds more often. So you, you start to blend. It just becomes a love of football overall. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it's interesting because I've said this before. I think with England it's different because I'm based in England constantly. So you're always yeah. around mostly English people. You're always in the English football culture. So evidently, when it comes to tournaments, you sort of want England to do well. But that but the difference is I would not be disparaging towards an England's opponent. Mm. So if England was playing, I wouldn't. You know, if if Brazil were to score, and I think in the past actually some competitors have done a really good job of this of. If England concede a goal, they will give the praise, they'll go great and they'll show the passion, but with just a tinge of regret, yeah. disappointment, you know, yeah. that it's like, oh, it's a sh-, you know, it's a shame. And there'll be people who'll be annoyed, like, oh, you should be saying, you should be going crazy over Germany's goal. But like, well, not really, because I, you can't fight that the majority of the audience is tuning and wanting, to, because that's the evidence is in the fact of if you look at the numbers and the viewing numbers for international tournaments, and when England are playing, 
oh, yeah, they blow wow. just all other TV out of the water. And what yeah. is the reason for that? It's partly football, but it's also that people are tuning in because their national team is playing. Mm. That that's what it comes down to, you know, to have an audience of 27 million or whatever it was for England's World Cup semi. And uh, I don't know, I can't remember what the figures were for the Euros. 20, no, but, um, 2018, yeah. Yeah, but it's 2018. Half the, half the popula- it's half the population yeah. or more, isn't it, of, of England yeah. who's watching those. Yeah, things. yeah. And it's so you've got to say, you know, that, that's an extraordinary number. And more of those people are tuning. I've got a friend of mine who's not a football fan at all. He doesn't watch a game, but he watched <laughs> every England game at the Euros. Wow. Because he had a connection and he was passionate about it and he was really upset when they lost on penalties at the end. Never watched a game outside of that. Doesn't care. No. Sends me stuff. He sends me jokes about how much he dislikes football and <laughs> football supporters and all this sort of stuff and tries to wind me up about it. But that got him. Um, so it's interesting. It is yeah. interesting. And um, that's what I love about football is that that, that, that healthy passion for something which is, <laughs> if yeah. you break it down, is as people say, it's just... Some people kicking balls around. So uh, it's, just... it's often the first. It's often first the first drop of of love for the game. I think comes in those international mm. tournaments for people. Whether for me as a kid, it was just about Italian ninety, and then certainly Euro ninety six. It sort of solidifies mm. all your all your passions. But like you say, it's the, the the healthy aspect where that sort of passion and and unifying patriotism spills into xenophobia and, and sort of rivalry mm. to the other. That's where you kind of see it go often coupled with alcohol on the, on the physical sense on the on the in, around the grounds and things like that which we, we saw in the summer but i think it's yeah. for those people who have the healthy passion to, to try and espouse that as much as, as possible yeah and try and get into the culture of saying it's not you know it's by extinguishing that side doesn't mean it extinguishes all your passion i don't believe no. that at all i've gone i've had passionate moments watching england games beyond belief where i've been screaming and shouting and everything else <laughs> But I'm not going to go out on the street and smash up somebody's window or, you know, start abusing somebody else. Or if they're losing to Germany in the semi-final, go out and find a German and abuse them. I just think that jump doesn't make any sense to me Mm. whatsoever. Um, I think healthy banter between fans is fantastic. You know, I saw, um, I'm trying to think of some examples, but I saw something online recently and uh, somebody was summing up um, Tottenham's month in January. And they they were having a healthy dig at Arsenal and a healthy dig at Chelsea. But they were both healthy digs, you know, sort of say Arsenal are avoiding this game. You know, they're running away. Chelsea, I don't want to visit Stamford Bridge again. I hate this place. And, you know, all this. <laughs> and that's a, and I think I think that side of it, I think, is fantastic. I love that because that yeah. healthy joking. Yeah. And I actually I actually don't I actually do find because I know people get irritated by it. But when you see under comments and like teenagers are just just jostling between each other and making jokes about, you know, they'll say Penaldo and Pessi and all this sort of stuff. <laughs> I as irritating is for some people, I actually find it quite funny. Yes. Because yeah. there's nothing wrong with it. It's harmless. There are possible trait. arguments to sort of, no one's going to win as well. It's unwinnable. No. And they're debating two of the greatest players to ever play the game. Yeah. So it's not like the losers all of a sudden, oh my God, <laughs> Messi's career is going to be ruined because people are calling him Pessy. <laughs> yeah, and we're, uh, yeah, definitely. And we sort of, um, I think we're lucky to be to be in the presence of, of those two. Certainly, so you talk about emotion, and you talked, and I've read about the voice, the power of the voice. When did you decide? Because there's a nuance there, isn't there? As you say, it's not necessarily what commentators are saying; it's, it's how they're saying it. When you decided mm. as a primary school kid, I'd love to be a, a football commentator. Have, have you been mm. practicing your voice? Have you been conveying emotion? Have you been working that since that age? Because people ask me, where do you yeah. start? And I say to kids you know often just just get the reps in particularly now with mobile phones you can record yourself there's mm. lots of easy ways of of doing it whether it's on camera or, or audio you can you can practice now 
yeah definitely get i i think you practice you practice you practice and practice as i said before, whole games practice commentating on whole matches because it's a discipline it can be tiring for people and mm. um, i think of almost any broadcasting aspect you are out there talking for the longest period of time pr- unscripted essentially so you're constantly reacting to and there's a generation of people who are used to doing that with their live streams and everything else yeah but um so but i think just getting that discipline practice in over and over again because there'll come a point where somebody will or there could come a point where somebody will give you the opportunity and when it comes to that you want to be in your best possible shape to deliver then because all that will happen is if you get the opportunity and then it doesn't go as you wanted it to go or you feel like you're unprepared one it may not come to you again but two you'll just be so disappointed in yourself and you think because there's no there's no rush because in this industry that you know people can be in this industry for a long period of time you know there's absolutely no rush to it whatsoever and i know my voice will improve with age and with time and with games and and that's that's another factor is that even though you know i think you can only compare yourself to what you were like the day before or the week before the month Mm. before not anybody else not any ideas of what it's supposed to be you can only make improvements to yourself week after week and that can come without you even noticing it Mm. you realize um oh no i know that works better and always always listen to yourself some people say i can't i can't watch myself i can't listen to myself (laughs) i think you i think you always should because you if you don't like an element about something then you're the one who can change it you know Mm. you're the person who can make the difference so if you think to yourself, oh, you know, oh, I hate the way I do that at the end of the world. I'm going to I'm going to change that for next time. Well, then you won't know that until you hear yourself back. And, you listen to whole matches back. Not whole matches. I haven't got time for that. But <laughs> I, do, I, I, I sometimes, I mean, I, I do occasionally have a game on in the background just to check something out or just to mm. see if there's an issue with something. Um, but, uh, yeah, you don't want to it's good because it's because the whole game is a discipline you know it's not just calling the goals even though everything's made into highlights you're still out there working for somebody covering a whole game so you can't just be thinking i'm going to say this when the big moment comes but this faff of all the rest it's just Mm. it just doesn't work like that and you know you know yourself in in industry often the thing that people think is the hardest part isn't the hardest part like for me the the hardest part is just get my head around the logistics of the day, making sure where am I going to be? Yeah. If I'm driving, where am I going to park? Where do yeah. I have to pick the accreditation up? Is that what's the view going to be like from the gantry? Um, what what elements to the show do I need to do in terms of it might be a pre-match hit or a, 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 a promo or a particular incident in the game? There might be somebody's passed away and they're doing a tribute. All these little extra things are on your mind, never mind the game itself. And often once I'm into the game, then you can get taken away by the game. Yes. Uh, and if you're not taken away by the game, I think that's a, that's a bit of a problem. The, the worst thing is just if you're in a game and then you think, oh, God, this is a terrible, terrible match. Yeah. And, you, and you're fighting, you know, boredom, st- stress, is, stress is bad. And for some people, it's really bad. It can affect you physically. Mm. But boredom is even more destructive, I think. Is that uh, where you do the prep for? Because I don't know how, how many hours prep days prep do you do for a game is it the boring ones where you you tend to just sort of furnish it with a little bit of uh, trivia and, and things like that yeah I, yeah I mean I've got the attitude I never I approach every game as it's going to be brilliant or it's just going to be a brilliant game yeah. and I start from up there and it's up to the game to bring me down 
Like, <laughs> you know, I never start from go, go on game, impress me. Yes. I'm not like that. Yeah. that that's that's there, asking. There is, a, there is a radio commentator who springs to mind who's a bit like that on the BBC. Yeah. yeah. But you, you have to, you have to, you have to be, you have to have that attitude of, you know, the game's up here and you've just got to bring it up because it's important to somebody that match, you know, it's, it's an important game for somebody. If people are listening or watching it, they care about the game. If it's not, if they don't care about the game, they certainly won't be watching it. And I, I think that helped me when I was doing, you know, I would do, you know, Syria or Liga or Bundesliga games. And that's a good part. And if you see, if you come across commentators who cover those leagues regularly, they have a passion for that league. And that's part of it. You know, you have to immerse yourself to the point. Even when I was do, doing La Liga, you become defensive of the league, you know, yes. protective of the league. Uh, and, you know, you can't slag it off. It's the best for this, it's the best yeah, for yeah. that. You have to be quite a chameleon in the career, don't you? Because you, you, people yeah. assume that you, because people can say to me, how do you know about all these sports? And it's like, well, you have to, you know, learn about them and you have to not be a, not pretend you're an aficionado sometimes, but you just mm. present a simple well, structure of, of, of knowledge about, about something. And But you do... Well, you have to be prepared to go into un uncharted territory. Well, I think what helps is to have a rolling knowledge, which is just being generally across what's going on mm. rather than each game going, I'm going to commit to this game only and be like on it. But because the games come so quickly, yeah. you can't have that attitude. You have to have a rolling knowledge. And by that, I mean, I have for all the teams in the Premier League, I have a, like a database. It's like a template for every single player in the league exactly. and that's my so and that's just an ongoing process so it, we just I wait for January to finish and yeah. then I'll go back and just update a few players shift them around but it saves so much time per game because you drag a player into your system and your setup mm. and then after that you're just looking at what the stories are for so that you, particular game you have, a, you have a system what you drag it into that and then you print that and take it to the game do you is that sort of no i do everything oh, i used to do that but now i do everything on the ipad so i just do all my prep on the ipad and then i have my phone as well so because people say oh what happens if your battery dies on your ipad well i say well, what happens if your papers blow away yeah. what happens if you if you pour coffee on your papers or whatever you have that problem and that's that's what goes back to the rolling knowledge thing is that you remember anybody's done any sort of memory classes and stuff like that is that the way it works is you, you have to just refresh your memory mm, on something every now and again, mm. you can't just intensely revise for one subject and then come back to it. Cause what I want to be in a country, I want to have information just in my head and not to be looking down at my notes all the time or not to be assessing them. Cause when you start doing that, you can detach from the game and miss stuff. Were you, were, you good, players. were you good at exams? Because I was quite good at exams, memory exams. I was terrible Ter at coursework. I was never really particularly... Oh, yeah, yeah. But, but, but exams where it was multiple choice, things like that, I could often... Oh, yeah. often revise quite well for that sort of thing. And it's as it, it, interesting with our industry because you do have to store quite a lot of information, in, you know, often random information. Absolutely. I'm much better if somebody just out of the blue tests me on the spot mm. than if somebody says, Seb, could you write a... Uh, yeah, so I've had, you know, I've had a request to somebody said, oh, could you write a passage about this and that? And I'll be like, oh, no, I just know. Because the problem is, is that my brain just dies. I cannot. Yeah. You know, I started, I, when I went freelance, I started writing a children's book and uh, I finished the story. I finished, yeah. I finished the book. It was, it was a, it was a novel, really. It was, it was about 60, 70,000 words. It was a book and it was fun to do, but... Was that there football in there? Was it sort of like Frank? There Lampard? was no, there's no reference to football whatsoever. It was a children's fantasy story, but I keep saying was. It's still there. But the way I look at it is, 
after that you've done that mm. but then to make it into something serious you have to properly get into the process of editing it editing it making it into something that could then be presented to a publisher and then be made use of so that's a whole nother step and i'm not i don't have the time or the freedom to do that step you like and being live and it being done yeah. at the end which i think is, is something i've yes. presenting that once you've done it it's like oh, i've achieved something I don't have to revisit. I, I, I think I don't know whether it's attention deficit mm. disorder I have because I sometimes read the definition. <laughs> that's a bit, a bit similar. Like, I, I think so. You can focus intensely, they say, on one thing that you love, but actually yeah. the ability to sort of labour and procrastinate. I was terrible at journalism school over copy editing. I was mm. just really bad at that. So that's interesting that that kind of crossover. And, and you know, it's, it's got, and this is a part of it. People are different, so you've got to try and. You know, I did a lot of produ- producing, which is the opposite. You know, mm. producing often in the actual key big moment your 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 pressure is less but your general work of being across it is more so you know in if you're doing a shoot of you know preparation in terms of what the, you want the cameraman to do what you want the person in front of the camera to do there's be sound assistant it could be a guest you know the, the person be interviewed say you could be across all of that you know deal with the tapes or the the tapes whatever you know you know yeah. deal with deal with the data afterwards and get it back and digitize it and then um you know, you prep whatever your piece is, you know, log the th- thing, then cut it, and then and then you're with an editor telling him what to... You're, so you're across it all. You might not have the expertise in each individual element, but you're across the whole project. Mm. So it's a different... It's a lot more encompassing across a longer period of time. But the difference is, I'd say, to say commentating, is that commentary, you're constantly... You're at peril for, for that period of time. <laughs> And there's nothing, there's not a lot you can really do about it beforehand or after, really, because you can be thrown an absolute spanner. And you know, this as a presenter, it's the same. Anything could happen anywhere. Things could go wrong that aren't your fault, but you have to cover them quickly. You know, yeah. being, being ca- present is definitely something that resonates in terms of life and in our jobs, because, you know, you mentioned kids as well. You can be sort of on your phone drifting away, but in the studio, if you're an anxiety on Sky Sports News because we covered lots of sports when I first started. I wasn't a massive golf fan. So suddenly we're doing golf updates every hour. And I was thinking, oh, I'll get all these notes about, you know, 25-year-old Californian, blah, blah, blah. And you're trying to get this out. And you're thinking, actually, someone said to me, it's a Chiron for 20 seconds that viewer at home probably is going to turn off if it's too much golf because most of them are football fans. So you're just, you're marking it. And actually trying to think about what the viewer, the listener wants is, is is a key part of it actually because the empathy of for them yeah you've mentioned a really interesting element there because the other thing is is that i was thinking you know going back to the, the formula one you know the mm. final day and <laughs> i'm not a massive formula one fan right no. but i was in the i was in the 90s weirdly i used to be really into it but as i got yeah. older i just wasn't interested in it um but as it was set up to be something to draw people in on the mm. final day, you know, two guys level on points, winner takes all. And the way it ended left me really cold. I felt really a bit like, I don't understand how this That's can happen. Crofty, it, the commentary, isn't it? To figure oh, out what's going on in and I, I, I felt, yeah, I felt, oh, I felt for him because I thought it, if he's happy, if he, because he's obviously more involved with him, he's, he might be able to detach himself from it. Mm. But for me, just coming into it, and I was on the radio at that time, I was doing a Crystal Palace game for Five Live. 
And I just found it really, in my head, I found it really difficult. That I really wanted to give my opinion on it and say, this is outrageous, this is terrible. <laughs> but then I thought to myself, you know, there's no, nobody cares about what I think. And it's not my place to do it. I just have to say it's controversial what's going yeah. on because it's still in discussion. Like, next goal wins, was... wasn't it? The ref, refs in the Premier League just said, right, season. Yeah. Man City, Liverpool, next goal wins. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you just got to crack, you just crack. And that situation never happens in football because I'm so close to football, weird, you know, paradoxically. Um, so yeah, it's it, it it it's it's fascinating. So when you like you said, you know, if you're doing golf and you don't initially have a great care for golf, but then you over time you get close to something mm. because you're covering it. I've covered handball in the past, yeah. knowing nothing about it, and then going into it, and then having really? a love for it, and get involved. Whereas other sports I've covered, and I've done them, and I thought, no, not for me. Mm. It's definitely not for me. So, but I think that's what life's about. I think you've got to throw yourself. Parlor sports. Parlor sports, darts and snooker. I mean, that's one that's never really... Sort of uh, do you know, but... darts always sucks me in. Every time. Yeah. Every time there's darts on, I'm in there. And yeah. I think the success of darts is that, I hate the phrase, but that every man feeling about it, where you feel like I could just pick some darts up and mm. just go and just throw them at a board. It feels like something I could... Everybody, I think, has their minds is, if I did this enough, I'd be really good at this, <laughs> which is obviously nonsense. Yeah. But it's the one sport that you look at and you go... Oh, I reckon I'd be all right at this. If and I, I could have a body like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, that's, yeah, exactly. I've it's, got it's a body exactly. like that. That's the sort of thing people probably think. Of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but people who don't watch darts would obviously slag it off because mm. they of what they see it from the outside. So it's like anything, isn't it? I think you once you're involved in something, you can get a love for it, but you can also be pushed away by it. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's fascinating. People having fun as well, I think, is a key component of the, the darts. You mentioned quickly the um the radio commentary for five live how does your how does your schedule work out in terms of bookings for games and the differences in terms of your approach both pre-match and, and delivery when you're doing radio versus television so like i said it goes back to my system that i have that i have a i just have reminders for me that what i'm working on just mm -hmm. reminders to say i'm on radio and this is what i just need to be sure of during the game um i don't i don't need that for telly but I think for radio, it's just that reminder that people can't see what you sure. can see. And so weirdly, it gives you an, a freedom. And I said about opinion on Formula One, you know, that was more because I don't know enough about Formula One. But I'm more likely to give more opinion on a radio commentary because it's what the audience wants. To tell you what a, is like, yeah, to give you... A yeah, and, and also sometimes if you don't have the words to particularly describe an incident, you know, they sort of say you know, show, don't tell type thing, you know, when you're writing, which is, you know, you can't just say, uh, you know, Johnny walked in happy. You have to say Johnny, Johnny walked in with a huge smile on his face and, you know, mm. tears rolling down his eyes. You have to, you have to do that. Um, whereas in telly, you, you don't need to do that. It's the complete opposite. Mm. You don't, you know, you, 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 could, you know, you could, you know, for dramatic effect, I might say he's got tears rolling down his face. <laughs> But I could just say, I could just say he's absolutely distraught. He's distraught. And people can see that. They can see that. So yeah. it's very different um, in that regard. It's definitely a different skill to it. Um, but but I found I sort of enjoy, I enjoy them both because at the core of both of them is you're watching a football game. Mm. And that's that's the key. So, and, and you're involved in it. That's why I've actually, it's interesting because there's lots of steps in radio. A lot of people do reporting hits and then they might graduate to commentary, but some people just, that remains what they do is doing hits. And it's a completely different skill yeah. because while you're not, you know, 
radio competition is tough because you're always talking, always have got, got to be cross it. But the others are skilled because you have to just be succinct in that moment to deliver. Seconds. Yeah. Is it 20 seconds. As you know, that yeah. bang, sum up what's happening. And especially if you're just say with five live, they've got, they're going around multiple grounds. Mm. You need to realize where your game is in the pecking order. You know, if you're doing a game down in league two mm. and there's premier league games going on in a title race, you need to realize that while your game is great or whatever, you need to think I can't spend a minute talking about my game when there's well, a crack. We, we used to get people like Pete Stevens yelling in our ears at BBC London. That was the good, good training. You know, <clears throat> wrap it up. Wrap it up was always the... Uh, shout out, yeah. Shout out. Yeah, wrap it up. But yeah, that, I think that's the point because, you know, you can find that, you know, if you're listening in the car and you want to be across with the footballers and somebody's reporting and, you know, from a, from a lower league ground and unless it's something extraordinary... You know, we just had a fox go on the pitch and it's dug up the penalty spot just before. So, I was, you know, that's that's different. But if it's just like, oh, equaliser for so-and-so, you know, uh, is, is 1-1. But then if you start saying, and, uh, you know, I have to say about this game, you know, it's it's a mild temperature today and uh, so-and-so, the right-back's playing pretty well. And it's just like, nobody cares. No. Because the people who really care are probably listening to that game on local radio or at the game. The local BBC radio or... Exactly, exactly. So it's about, whereas, you know, people... And again, it goes down to what the majority of the audience is expecting. Unfortunately, that's how you have to operate. I always think like that's how society sort of runs in that, what the majority wants, but be be respectful of what the minority want. And I think that's what it's about. That's what society should be about. Sometimes yeah, it doesn't always work Don't make like mistakes that. when you're doing a League Two update, like get the wrong no. team or the wrong player. Exactly, but- exactly. And make and the fact that there is an update from the League Two ground is as yeah. a sign of respect. You know, when there's... Your voice, you can sound engaged and animated like you said before, even in 20 Yeah, exactly. And you could make it sound... And actually, it might put the other reporters to shame if you're getting excited about their game. They might say, oh, I better get more excited to keep the tempo up. Yeah. Because that's what, you know, you need to... You don't want to be the person lagging behind in that. You just, you know, they go, oh, what a game. It's Cheltenham one, Oxford one. And then they go back to somebody who's at Man United. Yeah, it's a Man United yeah. one. And they people think, what's going on here? Hey, I live in Cheltenham. The A40 derby is a big, big <laughs> one. It's a, it's, a, it's a massive one, Cheltenham Town and Oxford United. It's interesting. I always harken back to trying to think about what people want to listen to when I've done radio commentary. And I didn't realize this in my 20s, but with age it comes. But when I'm sat in the back of my dad's car and I was a kid, I wanted to know the score and where the ball was. Because <laughs> if it yeah. was near my team's goal, I was just full of anxiety. So I wanted to know, yeah. especially if we're leading 1-0 in the 90th minute. Those are the sort of, going back to what you said about Brian Moore and simplicity. I know he was predominantly mm. an Aria or a TV commentator, but it's um, it's that those fundamentals, isn't it, of the score? And- yeah, and, it, it's, and even for experienced commentators, it's hard to keep that in the back of your mind because you want to keep adding complexity. But actually, and this applies to TV comms, the simplicity is in its success. Yeah. You know, it, that's that's what it's about. And uh, it, that can be really hard because obviously young people always say, you know, how do you know all the names? How do you know all these facts and figures? How do you know all these stats and everything else? But I, I always said to him, the stats and the facts and the figures are just a bonus. They're there to help you. You know, you didn't, now. Yeah, you didn't come up with those stats, you know. Well, you might have worked it out from your research, but ultimately this is something, an event that happened separate from you. So Mm. you're just relaying some information. So actually the the credit is more in just keeping across the game and informing the viewer about the game overall. So the game they're watching, you know, I could, 
I could, if I was covering a match, you know, so I've got, um, what have I got next? So I've got Cameroon, Egypt in the Africa Cup of Nations semi-final. So I could go down the line of, you know, I've got all my facts and figures and some history and everything else. But to be honest, if I'm going down that line, it, it can make the commentary really boring. What's what's the key app? Do you sort of link it to the Premier? Is it an English audience, British audience that you're doing it for? Exactly. It's yeah, it's for narrative. it's for Sky. So yeah, so the narrative the narrative is well, the narrative for me is always cracking football match. That's my start. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So straight out, you know, big old game, Cameroon, Egypt, massive game, Africa Cup of Nations, two big nations with plenty of football history, mm-hmm. and certainly in this competition, yeah. you know, Egypt won it the most times. Cameroon, the hosts. Just get to the grip. Yeah. I, love, I love Cameroon from Italian 90 going back there. It's exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's the thing is that your audience, when you enter a game, there'll be some, some geeky people out there. And so people who are maybe close to the players. Majority of the audience knows is coming from a zero position of, I know not much about this team. Even football fans will watch that game right. and then say, I, don't, I only know, like, I probably know one player from Cameroon. And I certainly know maybe two players from Egypt. And leave it at that. Oh, oh, El Ghazi. Oh, yeah, I remember El Ghazi. He was at West Brom, wasn't he? You know, that's what people are like, you know. So, obviously, you're, you're in trouble if you don't know who Mo Salah is. But, you know, that's a problem. <laughs> but, but you know, ultimately, by me just knowing the players, that is enough for the majority of the audience. So, everything else you add, you're almost, you can almost go too heavy and you lose people because people are just like, what, what is this guy on about? Why is he talking about the fair? Why is he talking about Tutankhamun? So why is he talking about the river Yango in the Western Cameroon? Who cares? So commentate on the game. I didn't turn up. If I want to find about that stuff, I watch the history channel, you know, that sort of thing. You have to have a lot of stuff there. You need it, but you don't necessarily use it. I suppose that's the challenge for commentary. Yeah. Funny enough, actually, because we get given stat packs and everything else, but the stat packs and, and everything are actually more useful for the presenters mm. and the producers of the show because you're, because they're there. That's when that is more important. Contact, because yeah. you're, context and you're adding a build-up and a flavor to the game yeah once we're in the game it's about the game and i and i know this from having produced you know produced shows produced pieces for shows uh and and in the link person for shows i understand that that's the element that you need those stats and because there's more for that yeah. and i might as a commentator i might need them in my opening or you know and have the odd tidbit for if somebody achieves something. But actually, my most important thing is just being across the flow of the game and going with that as it goes. Um, because it's difficult because you can get yourself in the mode of whenever you're, you've got the time or the license because you're being paid to, to research stuff, you can go down the rabbit hole of thinking, oh, I found this out. I've got to use it now. I've got to use it now because yeah. I've found this amazing stuff. I've got to find you Sometimes it's not the moment. Yeah, I've, I've done games and I look back at the paper and go, I didn't use that. Mm. <laughs> I never got around to using that. And and nobody's going to give you credit, really. Yeah. For well, so, sometimes you've got the moment that. you want to sort of mic drop, don't you, in the middle of a sort of broadcast and you think, oh, that was brilliant. And then you think, actually, I've got to carry on now. It's just part of the, it's, it's one yeah. step. Yeah. For me, it's uh, something I've been thinking about, but uh, everyone else isn't worried. I, th- I think some things lend themselves to interest. So, you know, if a person's never scored for a club or mm. it's their debut goal, or even things I quite like, you know, 100th goal, I like stuff like that, or they've scored for 10 goals, games in a row, or even if they're an unlikely scorer, like say a, a defender or something, and they score in back-to-back games, that sort of stuff mm. is interesting because it's quite nice. It's like the moment and it's their moment. It's their big moment. But I would never say, I try to say, you know, it's their, I don't know, 
It's their third goal in nine games. I just have to stop. Well, it's interesting. Yeah, again, it's what... I'd say it's their third of this year. Yeah, and I think it's, yeah. it's interesting because, like, obviously, Jeff Stelling and people like that have made a career since the 90s on, on knowing stats when it was a harder time to have statistical information, yeah. whereas now I feel like almost stats have lessened currency because of the internet, because someone at home can just put on their phone on soccer base and see how many goals they've got. If they want that information, you don't need yeah. to necessarily... And they'll check it. You know, you could I could come up with a stat and then somebody can go further with the stat. Mm. So, you know, I I could say oh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of something. You know, uh, you know the Cameroon manager. What, it's like, oh, it's two yeah. goals in thirty. Or yeah, whatever. exactly. They say, well, actually, or no, no. Say, you know, the Cameroon manager was once um, uh, you know coaching at Leighton High School, and somebody could come and go. Well, it was actually it was actually Leighton Academy. Yeah, uh, so, yeah. So you got to be careful when you yeah put yourself out there sometimes. That's definitely true. Yeah. What did yeah. what did quickly said about being a, a black guy? What that meant in terms of, of your career because I think what's been illuminating for me the past couple of years not really thinking about these things is that it's a pertinent thing because you talked about role models but I presume there weren't too many black lead commentators obviously you've got co-commentators who are, who are black gentlemen but what, what that was like growing up uh do you know what I've I've said this on other things before when you're a kid you, when you're a young kid initially like 10 11 I wasn't thinking in terms of oh, the person I'm watching on television is, yeah. is white or whatever. I was thinking more of, um, this is a very naive thing, but you're a child. I was thinking of, oh, they're just waiting for the next black commentator yeah. or whatever. Yeah. You know, that's how I thought. So it wasn't a feeling of they couldn't do it. It's just, I said, I didn't expect them to be there or available or something likely that people would but do. But as kids, we don't, we don't differentiate, do we? I think my daughter's quite yeah. interesting in that. It doesn't pick people. They're sort of, I think as adults, we sort of go into some regression in a way, in a strange Abs way. Absolutely. And, and then, but, but then you get the influence of adults telling children things yeah. and generalizations, you know, oh, this person expect this or expect that. And uh, that's, I think that's what the, the underlying process of everything is, is that you don't want to walk into a situation and expect, and to see somebody who looks a certain way and be surprised, mm. you know, so, oh, I wasn't expecting them to be there. And that can work both ways, you know, that can work in a scenario. You know, if I was to get on a plane and I saw a black pilot, I'd be like, oh, that's a pleasant surprise. Mm. Rather than just saying, oh, there's the pilot as a default. Yeah. And that's yeah. where we need to get to. And that applies to men and women, funnily enough, to get mm. on and say, oh, and go, oh, that's, that's, or that even if you say, oh, that's nice. There's a female yeah. pilot. You know, don't want to get to that because what we want, what oh, we want yeah. to get to. Yeah. yeah, I remember my black American friends being amazed that there are black people in England with English accents. Yeah, thought, well, yeah, of course there is. There's, you know, it's just that's the world. But they live in England, so they've got English accents. That's yeah. That's American but... people by accents are the best of times, anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I, I... has an accent, but them. So, well, like I said, I, I've I've been to Japan recently, and I think what America thinks Britain is is actually Japan. That's what I always say whenever oh, I go there. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, because yeah, you know, the idea of I think. Americans think British people are sort of polite. They bow to authority. They love their gardens. They love their tea. But it's like, but the Japanese take that to a whole new level. They're a level above in that regards. In my experience, I've been there from a positive. So it's almost a bit like, it's interesting how perception, I just think a lot of bad and negative perception either comes from a one-off bad experience or having never, ever met people of that time so i've had people who, who i'd never considered to be uh have a bad bone in their body say things to me and i sort of think you've never spoken to a black person before have you or you've never seen one really? in reality yeah because you 
it's an expectation of what they expect you to be doing. And I think that can happen both ways. You know, people can be whatever walk of life, they can, there's an expectation of them of what their behavior is going to be, how they might talk, what they might like, be it food or music, uh, what their background might be, their journey in life. And ultimately, this is what leads to prejudice because people will just not do something for that reason. They might say, oh, I'm not going to ask them because they're not going to want to do this or or I am going to ask only them because I know they'll do it and they'll probably be good at it because in my opinion or my experience, they fit, an image, seeing, mental they, fit they, 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 they fit an image. And um, I think that's of often the biggest barrier because it can work in, a, in lots of ways. So, you know, my name, if somebody sees my name written down, they wouldn't think anything of it. They wouldn't even put a face behind it necessarily. Mm. Right. But uh, other name, is he related to Don, Don Hutchinson, probably, or something like that, wouldn't it? But yeah, what? yeah. And even that's a funny thing, because I've got an IN in the middle, and he's just got an I. Ah. So that's confused. So when we've been together, you've had the whole, you've either had Seb Hutchinson and Don Hutchinson, or Seb Hutchinson and Don Hutchinson. It's like, yeah, they're, they're both wrong. Yeah, it's Hutchinson right. and Hutchinson. Ah, but, um, we're not going to get into pronunciations or names, because that's a whole other minefield. So I can't, you can't be a hypocrite about that. But it's, um, yeah, and... This is, I think this is the key point is what I'm saying is that people should be able to walk into a situation and not feel prejudged. Mm. It's, it's, it's almost wishful thinking because it's just a nature. You know, if you walk into a job interview dressed in your pajamas, people are going to have a perception of you, right? But that's yeah. an aspect you can change yes. and control. I wouldn't want to be walking a job interview and someone looks at me and goes, oh, they might be trouble or they might be this or they're going to expect this. Or they, um, and and interestingly, you know, in my experience, I think this can happen to women a lot more. Actually, is that they, mm. they come into a position and people are just going to expect the woman's going to be like this, which is incredible because <laughs> they come off the population. But so it's just yeah, especially in football because it is so passionate and um, yeah. and, and pleasant at times. I think, and, and what you, I suppose, yeah, what you have to differentiate from, and it's interesting. I think. The, the last couple of years in some ways has given me an, an illumination not only of things that people face but also mm. the reductive aspect of certain things when it, you know I almost rely when I fill out a form and it says what are you and you're like mm. well what do you mean what am I I'm just a human but you know this is a corny thing to say but you're like mm. oh I'm a white and I don't know so British white am I predominantly <laughs> British or I don't know all my ancestry yeah. so I'm talking Spanish in the background and there's all this stuff and yeah. you're like well, what, what, I'm not a cat, I'm just a person, like you're saying, just a person, but you realise that other people have had that. But, right, and I think I was and, my dad growing up, we lived in the Caribbean, he was an island doctor mm, and, and all this stuff, so mm, we were immersed in a, in a whole different culture. And actually, I think that sticks with you, that if you, the exposure to people who theoretically are different, you don't think of them different at the time, but then it's after mm, you get a sort of, and living in the States, living in different places, I think for me has been hugely instructive. Well, it, it, it can work, you know, for example, you can be in a... Um, uh, trying to think so there's parts of India and I've been in Cuba for example and I've been with say somebody who's got say blonde hair or red hair or something and there'd be people that have never seen anybody like that in person mm-hmm. and they'll be they'll want to take a photo with them or they'll have an opinion of them and, you know yeah. or I've been in places in Eastern Europe and there've been people who've come up to me in not in in awe in almost like oh you know what you know what i've never seen anybody like and and that i found i always found is a different type of thing to somebody being abusive or having a because ultimately it just comes down to what is the message being put out there of that 
yeah. demographic of person. The what intent, is put, the yeah, what, yeah. yeah, what's being taught to somebody about what that person is like. And I think this is this is the key point is that we're trying to get to the point where we can we can love ourselves for what we are, but also be respectful of how everybody else is mm. when it comes to something they just cannot control. And when I mean control, I don't mean control as if they want to change it, but I mean just something that is inherently what they are and how they've been they've been um, conditioned, as it were, throughout their lives. You know, I think we are we're a product of, you know, how we're brought up, the areas we're brought up in, the language we're speaking, the country we're in. It all gives different levels of advantage and disadvantage. So you can be disadvantaged in one place, but really advantaged in another place, you know. You go to parts of the world and you think, what was I complaining about, about mm. this? But then it's all relative because we live in a society where a certain amount of money is required to live comfortably. But if you had that lower end of the scale money in another country, you'd be, you'd be the yeah. richest person in the village. And that's, this is the, this is the, it, it's, it's a bit of sort of the sort of thinking that you don't need every day. But the only point I'd say about it is, is that I don't walk around every day looking at myself in the mirror, right? I can yeah. look down at my hands and everything else, but, I'm not going to go and I'm a black person, I'm a black person, I'm a black person. No. That gets, it's the same way if there's a, um, somebody who's good looking, they, that, good, that opinion or that idea that they're good looking is only reflected by the people around them. Mm. So it's, they only, so some they people- They get blamed for it as well, don't they? Sometimes people are really- Yeah, sort of <laughs> they get, it's, held, it's held against them. But it's yeah. almost like you want to say, to them, well, how are they supposed to react? Yeah. Of course, if they've got half the people loving them and half the people- you know, resenting them for that. What what can you do about that? Mm. You know, no, there's nothing. You, <laughs> so it's a, it's a wild thing, isn't it? You just think, like, say, going back to the kids, it's they see the world very simply, and it's you know, mm. it's, a, it's again a cliche thing in a sense. But what Martin Luther King said about judging people by the quality of their character is ultimately what what, what we're talking about. I think you because you don't necessarily appear like the the standard image of the the white haired white guy who's commentating on football. You will inspire people from backgrounds, but I suppose the important message is always practice and repetition that I always try and stress that you've espoused here. I mean, what are the general tips just as we wrap up for, for young boys and girls who, who want to be football commentators? I've always said that being around words is important. I don't know whether you found that reading yeah. and things like that when you're younger, just to kind of get an architecture yeah. of language. Read, reading is never, the reading is the, the core of everything really, because it, it, it's the sort of, you know, knowledge osmosis as it were, that is the best one because you're interacting with something where you have to physically you know look at words on a page translate them into your head and make sense of them and create a picture out of it whereas sometimes if you're just viewing something happening you don't have to do that you know television is just thrown at you and um, but with a book you have to take part in that and I you know my mum made me read books when I was young when I say made me read books she had I had books available and I would read them and I loved reading stories and I've mentioned about writing a children's book and that comes from that motivation came from reading children's books when you're younger, you know, yeah. otherwise what would be my basis for it? But I think that people, when it comes to something that you want to do, I said before, I've said it before, arm, arm yourself, get yourself ready for that moment, be prepared. And then when the moment comes, because the moment will come for everybody along the way is that you're ready and prepared. You know, if I get, you know, I've been given lots of good opportunities but if I wasn't ready for those opportunities, I wouldn't be getting them again. And I know this because I've had, I've gone down blind holes with certain things before, done them once and never been asked again. No, me and too. That, <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure so many people have been in that position. Yeah. You think, 
Hmm, they've not phoned me back. Uh, or, 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 well, I oh, I haven't heard anything. Is there, you know? Yeah, what's going on? I mean, yeah. no, and it, it might not be because you're not for it. It might be because the person who was originally doing this comeback or whatever. But, but you know, in your heart, if you think I'm not happy with that, and also you don't want to be doing something you're not happy with. So that's another good reason why record yourself doing games if you can. When you're happy with your recordings, your multiple recordings, uh, then you can start approaching people and everything else with it. But also understand the fact that you're not going to be as good now as you will be in the future. So there is room for improvement. Um, listen to as long as you're conscious, you don't want to be autopilot, do you? That's the thing you can get into sometimes. I go through periods at work where I think, hang on a minute, I've, I've just put put apart my brain in that, that mm. didn't do that and not actually got, gone for those marginal gains, which as you get more experience is sometimes more difficult. Yeah, absolutely. And it's and listen to what people's feedback. We don't often get feedback, but listen to the feedback of people who are either your employers or around you and and just judge it to yourself and see, is this something I can do? Mm. If it's something you can do, then then give it a change and see if it works and see if it improves you or not. If it's something you can't change, <laughs> you know, yeah. you just you've just got to go. All right. Thanks for that. But plow on. You what? must. You can't have a hang up about it. You just you got to plow on Absolutely. because you can't. People can't, we talk about, you know, it didn't get onto it, but changing your voice or try and making your voice, but you can improve your voice, but you can't change your voice. You know, it is what it is. You can't, you can't make yourself taller. You can't. What did you, you record it and listen back to it? Is that how you did it? Just to get this? Yeah, yeah. And I just sort of thought myself, I tried to, but then you don't want to control it too much. Mm. Um, but I, 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 the one thing I think is important is, Try and speak to people who aren't like you mm. and see if they understand you. That's yeah. the way to do it. That's the difficulty if, with accents. Yeah, it can be. Difficulty with accents, but also just speech patterns and the way you construct a sentence or the way you're communicating with people. And if you feel like the other person's really doesn't get you or isn't being across you, then see, what can I do to make them understand? Because essentially we're speaking the same language. So it's just we just have different ways of approaching it and there is a difference between speaking well you know grammatically correct and speaking clearly i think they're two completely different things there's something but people yeah but people won't a lot of people won't actually connect with me if i if i did that whereas i could have a really you know i'm from east london i could get really thick with the east london accent and then be um, but be clear. Yes. You know, people, you can have your accent, but if you're clear, mm. then it doesn't matter as much in certain disciplines. Although I have to say with commentary, you know, you have less, you have less room for manoeuvre there. You want to be, I try not to, um, you well, know, get yeah, that when people can't make assumptions about your team if you start being too accented as well. Yeah, exactly. And, and also there's difficulties because you're, you're commentating on players from all around the world and there's different ways to pronounce. There's phonetics are different. And you know, even something something as simple as Newcastle and Newcastle. Mm. What do you do? Well, I, I it's really difficult because I end up going. My default is to say Newcastle because I'm mm. I'm from where I'm from. Yeah, me too. Yeah, so I you know you, I have to go down that road. But if I'm in a conversation with somebody and they're saying Newcastle, I will just say Newcastle. I don't mind changing it for that conversation. The same with like if I'm speaking to someone who's French, and it can happen with French names a bit and. Uh, I, I, and I speak a little bit of Spanish. I will change the names to help a little bit. 
Uh, what, drop the E, drop the O's. Well, I'll say, I won't say Santi Cazorla. I'll say Santi Cazorla. You know, I'll say... Oh, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but only to a Spanish person. Whereas if I do a football commentary in England, I'll say Cazorla. Yeah. Well, that's, because, that, that is a minefield with foreign pronunciations. Just oh, I just... Is there, a, and I, is there a consensus in the UK that's actually wrong, but should you use it? Yeah, well, I, I've come a cropper with that multiple times. And uh, it's really awkward because there are players' names, famous players who people say wrong mm. all the time. Well, when I say wrong, wrong what is, is not that? Is Salah Salah or Salah? Because I've heard that. It's Salah. Salah, okay. But, but I try to, I try to keep the sat at the beginning because everyone's familiar that it runs yeah. in sa. Well, the correct way is to say it, with a, a, an Egyptian accent. <laughs> That's the correct yeah. way. But I wouldn't even bother doing that. You know, I've got no chance of getting that right. No. But I, I want it to sound, I don't want to be in a sentence and be like, you know, you know, Arsenal on the attack and Sadi Kahola. And I don't want to go down. It just doesn't connect. No. You're alienating everybody when you do that. Yes. Because everybody uh, you so be, you can never be like you're from his hometown anyway like you say so that's the, the problem yeah and and i you no know, even this season what did i have i had i did a shrewsbury town game mm. and uh they've got a fullback called ogbita but all the shrewsbury team the club uh the fans the media call him ogbeta but i i have a connection with the family right and yeah. they call it ogbita <laughs> so I feel a duty to say or beta. Yeah. And no, that's why I get into the mode of, well, I know that's correct. So I'll go down that line. Yeah. You know, whereas well, I have. Yeah. Where, yeah. Where, 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 I saw I had Aaron McLean on the podcast the other week and oh, yeah, yeah. Aaron McLean for his entire career. Yeah. 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 But, you know, as I'm sure he would have said, you know, you sort of that, you know, it's fine. It's fine because it's an accepted it goes down the line of it, it's fine because you expect it you know i've people in my own family would say your name wrong from time to time you know this is what can happen i've said i've said names wrong this season in games where afterwards i've i thought said oh god why do i say it like that but you get caught up in the game and you get into a pattern yeah and you repeat it repeat it repeat it and so then afterwards i just thought well you know i did one particular game and uh because I've got certain filters, I didn't notice half of it. Some person who I was with said, Seb, you've got to stop saying this name like this. And I was like, was I doing that? And then I, and then I thought, oh, gosh, I was doing it. I could see why people would be annoyed by that. Yeah. But I didn't, wasn't going to come out and apologise for it, because all you're doing is drawing attention to something that's actually overall quite minor. There's the fact I, I'm aware of it. I'll be like, oh, yeah, next time. I'll do that. I don't know why I was, you know, I don't know why I was going down. And, that, and this I, I say Abramovich and people used to hate that. And then because I've been in the States, I used to say uh, entertainment, not entertainment, which people didn't like and things like <laughs> that. I picked up on. And then, um, I mean, I suppose Tongi and Dombele going back to France gives a, a bit of a break from the various ways you hear his name. Pronounced. Oh, yeah. He's, well, Neil Mopé is another one. He's mm. had everything. He's had Mopai, Morpay, yeah. Mopi. Oh, and if, this is the thing the outrage about it needs to stop really because mm. people don't go out there to intentionally get names wrong no it, it can mean because um there was the norwegian who played at sheffield united last season right so he he there were he said there were three ways to pronounce his name depending wow. on what part of norway you're from <laughs> so we had you know santa burger burge and then there was another there was wow. another way like and, space, yeah, space difference, right? Yeah, yeah, and and like in England, it can happen mm-hmm. like that. We, well, in Britain, it can. We just gave an example: McLean, yeah. McLean. Yeah. We've got Aaron's and Aaron's. We've got you know, and 
this is what it, you know, you've got laveries and laveries and whatever you want oh, to say. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, you yeah. Yeah, so look, I think that's all it is. People aren't going out to be annoying. If people are, if people are mispronouncing names, it's not because they're doing it because they haven't done their prep or they haven't done. Sometimes it can just be the case of that they've been given a bad steer or they've been told correctly, but it's not the perceived, you know, De Bruyne is a great case because mm. it's more like De Bruyne, something like that. But I would never say De Bruyne because I just know the audience, the audience is yeah, like, you just cannot, yeah, yeah, you just can't go down that road. I mean, you, you, it comes to communication. So, um, yeah, that that aspect of it is a minefield, but I wouldn't. It's not something to get hung up about. But to, to to wrap up what you're saying, I think as far as if you're trying to, the biggest advice I'd give is just just concentrate on just mastering the craft on your own yourself, like like in the same way a musician would before they submitted their de demo tape, or as I was saying with writing, yeah. as a, as a, yeah. before I was ever going to go near a publisher, I'd want the book to be perfect, and yeah. you must apply that to as best as you can everything you can with all the knowledge you can make yourself listen to yourself improve and do a whole game so that when someone asks you to do something you're not surprised yeah mastery is the key as you say use the the, the feedback you can use because particularly if, as, as i've lurched into a presenting career is actually there's a lot of feedback which is you don't look right on camera or you look right which is actually you know just someone's opinion which you can't really work with too much so you have to discard that kind of unless they <laughs> say to you you know, you should be wearing a tie or whatever. We want a tie or whatever it might be is mm. detail. But there is a, a superficial aspect to presenting. But Seb, it's been brilliant to get your insight. Let you get back to the kids and the and the house move planning. I know you've got a busy mm -hmm. couple of weeks. Really appreciate it. It's fantastic to see you doing so well uh, from having that shared background. And also, you know, just seeing some of those BBC London crew. What a wonderful time it was. Caroline Barker now presenting at Sky Sports. Yeah. Is producing there. There's Star Orchard as well. Yeah, yeah Star Orchard on the yeah. radio. Five yeah. Live coming yeah. up. It's fantastic to hear. To hear those people it, we were so lucky to be part of that with a three-hour sports show every night was great great grounding being sent out to premier league round for interview managers and they're probably thinking who's these who are these kids <laughs> yeah <laughs> but everyone has to start somewhere don't they yeah. you know you know, you have to go down the process i mean not to go on it but i was doing some work experience even before then and it's mm. just like you know you just that's just part of the process nothing you do is going to be a waste of time if it's on that train to success absolutely seb appreciate yeah. it, mate. thank you so keep in touch <laughs> see you ed bye well, I hope you enjoyed that. Real pleasure to speak to Seb. And as I say, it gives you so much happiness to see colleagues who followed a similar path set out at a similar time in a similar place for us at BBC London Radio in Marlebone, in the centre of London back in sort of mid-noughties, 15, 16 years ago, and see him doing so well and to kind of get the lessons from him as well about mastery, practice, repetition, and very candid there about equal opportunities and um, some of the challenges, but some of the realities as well, the, the future that we're hoping to get to of where uh, surface differences between human beings aren't even acknowledged or thought about. It's just that, that quality of the, the candidate for <clears throat> any position or opportunity in life. So, yeah, great to speak to Seb and appreciate his time. I know he's a busy man, lots of study to do ahead of the games that he's he's commentating on. So follow him online. I think it's Seb underscore Hutch on Twitter. I'll put that in the show notes. And uh, thank you for, for you for listening to that. If you like it, please rate it. Please review it on whatever platform you're listening. Always appreciate it. But moreover, just pass it on to a friend. Always powerful. I think those word of mouth references, certainly for me, the podcast I listen to tend to be people, things that people have sent me or recommended for me. And uh, if you're looking to optimize your immunity, check out cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk. <clears throat> Try out the supplements, the discount code associated with the podcast, which we use. We still pay for it. 
um, the supplements. But if you go to the website and check out, you get 30% upfront, 10% thereafter with the code DRAPER10R. My last name, D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, numerals one zero and the capital letter R. And thank you to the sponsors. The main sponsor, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high-quality customer service and installations. B&O underscore Cheltenham on social media. Through that sister company, Serene AV, can source you whatever vision you have for your home entertainment system, televisual, audio, whatever it may be. Get in touch with Jason Briggs and his team. Thank you for listening to the podcast, guys. Really appreciate it. Have a fantastic week. Next week coming up on the podcast will be former Premier League footballer Grant Holt, who is now a scout at West Ham United, who are having a great season in the Premier League. So I look forward to that and I hope you do too. Bye for now.